Hebrews is a book that we don't know in the New Testament. We know who every, every other New Testament book we believe we know who wrote that, humanly speaking. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But we do not know uh, for sure God chose to leave the author of Hebrews anonymous. Because it was written to young believers, new Jewish believers, who their life had changed radically, and they're still struggling because they got such rejection, such difficulties... Uh, for their cause of, of accepting the Lord Jesus. They had freedom on the inside, salvation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, but from the outside, it wasn't too fun. They got fired, they got divorced from their spouse, they got put out from their families, widows were just put out in the street because they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a lot of persecution done, and they were wondering, is it worth it to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it worth it to follow this new faith? And the author very strategically, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says, oh, yes. Whatever you had to give up, whatever you feel like needs to be different, Jesus is better. He's better than Abraham. He's better than angels. He's better than the Mosaic law. He is the fulfillment of the law. He's a better covenant. He's a better testament. He's a better sacrifice, a better high priest. One by one, he strategically knocks the flats underneath the houses they built of excuses why they might want to go back into Judaism. He says, listen, you got religion, you got Jesus, keep Jesus and let religion go. But they said, we got rejection, it's worth it. We got fired from our job, it's worth it. We lost to so much of our wealth and security, it's worth it if you have Jesus. In chapter 10, he tells them, let's hold fast that profession of faith. Hold fast, don't let it go. He's challenging them. And not forsake the assembly yourselves together as a manner of some is, but so much the more. Get together in church and provoke one another, exhort one another. You know, one of the reasons we come to church is because we need each other. Coming, when you come to church, you never know what God's going to do. And God can speak to your heart at home. He can speak to your heart online. But make no mistake about it, God never speaks to you any louder and more specifically and uniquely than he does in this house at the church of God. There's something special about that. And this day and time, people are just throwing that to the wind. Well, I can just watch online. Get yourself to church if you can. Get in there. Something happens. I had one of our deacons today, and I thank God for the question. They said, Pastor, we're thinking about maybe um, on a special day, counting, uh, letting the deacons count the money during, the, during one of the services so we can get out a little quicker. And I said, we, we may be able to do it once in a while. It's okay. But I don't like the idea. I like everybody, everybody together. Not because I'm speaking, because something happens. You can say, well, we can hear it. We can just watch it online. We can watch it on the screen. It's not the same. You nursery workers know that. <laughs> you, fi you folks that are in different places, security, you know. I, I thank God for our uh, brother Steve McGraw, of course, an anniversary today. But he oftentimes has told me, he said, Pastor, I want to work hard to get our security guards in the service. Because if we, if we get out of the service, we get a little bit callous. We get a little bit uh, apathetic. We don't, there's something about being in the house of God. And once again, God can meet with us anywhere, but he meets with us uniquely when we're together. And our interaction one with another is extremely important. And the, the Lord gave us that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Don't forsake. Now consider one another, provoke each other, love and good works. Don't forsake the coming together and exhort one another, encourage one another. Don't just come and sit and soak. 
Uh, come and serve and engage and talk to someone and meet someone and provoke someone. Pray with somebody. Encourage them in the work of the Lord. It's one of the reasons God has chosen for us to be together. And it's no wonder why so many people, they have a new Gallup poll out. And uh, they just now, for the first time, um, Americans has come under 50% of them attending church once a month. 49% of Americans attend church once a month. 51% do not attend church at all or do not do at least once a month. So it's tragic, sad, but you and I ought to elevate our faithfulness and then work to get others to come. Well, if you're working with new converts, encourage them to come on Sunday night. Encourage them to come on Wednesday night and ask God to help them and then do something with them and to exhort them to do that. Chapter 11, you know what happens in chapter 11. It's a great hall of faith. And the Holy Spirit tells us about people all through history, the Jewish history in particular, beginning with Abel all the way down. Of course, Abel was not a part of the Jewish line until after Abraham, but Abel and, and uh, Noah, Abel showed the worship of faith, Noah showed the work of faith, and, and Enoch was the walk of faith. And then, of course, it went down to Abraham and Sarah leaving the Ur of the Chaldees, and their son Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph, and then Moses, and then a whole uh, plethora list of others who God used in a wonderful way. And what they did, all of them made the choice to treasure Jesus over comforts, ease and things of that nature. And we think, well, if you take Jesus over that, you're just really the loser. No, you're not. You're the winner. That's when it gets good. I talked to a man one time, and I, he was an older gentleman. I said, I said, man, thank you for all you did to serve Christ. He said, are you kidding me? I didn't do nothing. I get the blessings of that. And he's seeing things from the eternal standpoint, not from the temporal or the material standpoint. Certainly important to understand that. Well, when he completes telling about all the people that went through great deliverance and some went through destruction, he said some people had their, their self sawed in half. They were martyrs. Some had their children ripped out of their arms and thrown into fire or thrown into water. Some of them had been persecuted. Others were delivered and others uh, died. He said, but all of them did so by faith. Then he turns the pages and he, he directs his attention to us. Chapter 12, verse number 1, let's look at it. I'll try to be as brief as possible, but follow along if you would please. Wherefore, because of what I've just said about all these wonderful people who, who uh, were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, despite of difficulties and, and triumphs as well. Because of that, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which has so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, read it out loud with me. For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and... Verse number 4, also, everyone, ye have not yet... Striving against sin. Real quickly, he now sets us up and says, now you are on the racetrack. You are on this, this cross-country race. Everybody who came before you, now we're compassed about with their witness. It seems like he's setting aside a place where there's a finish line, and all the people who had already run finished the race. <sighs> wow, that was tough. It was wonderful. I'm done. Now they're in heaven, 
and they stand around the finish line waiting for others to come. Now we're compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. They've already finished their race. They're done. They finished it. Now they're standing there waiting for you to finish. And he gives some advice. He says, number one, you've got to lay aside anything that slows you down in your race, whether it be weight or whether it be sin. God has a race for you to run, has a race for me to run. And he said, I, I, if you're going to run right, you've got to run light. You don't want to run with ankle weights. You don't want to run with an overcoat. You don't want to run with, with, uh, with cowboy boots. It's not going to help you. You better run light. Get the lightest you can do. And if there's something that's holding you down from running your race the way God wants you to run it and finish strong, let it aside. Some of us, and, and I don't know what that is for you. There have been things in the life and times of John Wilkerson that have been for me that I've said, you know, Lord, I think that's slowing me down. And I've had to, to lay it aside. They weren't sinful things. They're hobbies. They're things that are just, I got caught up in them. We always kind of, we kind of deviate sometimes to extremes. There's nothing wrong with playing golf. There's nothing wrong with skateboards. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong uh, with hobbies. But sometimes the hobbies become our focus. And every once in a while you lay them aside because we want to run a race well and do what we're supposed to be doing. So he says, number one, lay aside any weight of sin that slows you down in your race if you're going to run. Number two, he tells them, I want you to remember the fan base. Remember there are people that are cheering you on. There are people that need you to finish strong because they laid a foundation. When I think about that 50 years ago, Brother Hiles came to that auditorium and said, folks, we need some help. We've got to buy a college. And we've got to have this much money. One of the reasons that keeps me going at the college and keeps me going in this ministry is there's a lot, not just Brother Hiles, not just Brother Scott, but 134 years. That one man who showed up here at Hammond, Alan Hill from the Coffee Creek Baptist Church showed up in August, moved his family, started having Bible studies in his house, then rented the, the conference room in the Morton House Hotel from November to April, won these roustabouts to the Lord, these men who have been laying railroad tracks and train tracks. Anyone ever have a train problem here in Hammond? You can thank those guys, all right? Boy, all those guys, he went one by one, started in Christ, now meet me over at the Morton House Hotel. We're having the conference room there. And then... Pastor Hewitt came, and he took over for him, and, and then they went to the, uh, went to the uh, they outgrew the conference room, and they went down to the opera house, and they cleaned it up on a Sunday morning after a Saturday night show, and, and set out the ushers, and got the offering plates, and got the things together, and filled up that, and then the first mayor of our town, Mayor Toll, you can go down streets to call Toll here, and he got saved, and his family started attending First Baptist Church. They said, we got a piece of property on Sibley. How about that? You want to take that property? We can build a church there. Thus, the First Baptist Church of Hammond. It's a lot of investment go on. Every one of those people that were the charter members there are with the Lord. And I think they're at the, they're compassed about, we're compassed about. They, they want us to do well. They, they invested their blood, sweat, and tears. Mayor Toll gave that property of his own. His family said, we think this would be worth it. Let's do it. Do you think it was worth it? Sure. But the story's not over. We're still here. We've still got a purpose to do. So I want you to remember, you've got to run light. Number two, remember the fan base. There's people watching you from heaven's 
a winner's circle and heaven's grandstand. Think about Brother Paul Collins. He's cleaned this building for the last time. He's there at the end of the race. He's cheering on. Emo, hey, in the back there. Miss Jacinta, come on, Jacinta. Do a better job on that second floor. Just joking about you. are doing a great job. Just teasing. Come on, Brother Gary. You're doing something that's going to matter for eternity. I didn't know how good it's going to be. I haven't seen Jesus yet for the, for the judgment seat of Christ, and he hasn't yet. They said, man, just seeing these folks come on up here and seeing us, and they're just, we're thinking, man, I wish we'd do a little bit more. But boy, that was worth it. But you guys got to keep going. Keep, keep, keep working on that radio broadcast. Keep doing those, those kids' program. Keep doing those puppets. Keep doing some, somebody get next man up. Let's go. You'll be glad you did. They're sur we're surrounded by that. Remember the fan base. Remember the focus. The focus is Jesus. Jesus Christ looking unto, if you look to a church for your satisfaction, this church will fail you. Churches are not perfect. If you ever find one, don't join it. You'll mess it up. Churches are up and down like yo-yos because we're human beings. We have seasons of strength and ebbs and flows, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can always trust him. He'll never fail you. Your bus captain, he'll fail you. Your pastor, I will fail you. Your Sunday school teacher will disappoint you. Your spouse will disappoint you. That relationship, you think, if I have that, it'll be smooth sailing. You and, you're in for a challenge. But Jesus never fails you. For whatever motivates you, you need to keep looking higher. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and now he's set down. He's done. He's finished his race. He's set us a pattern, and that's how we know how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to live, just like Jesus would. How are we supposed to run our race? Verse number, verse number three, it tells us, now consider Jesus. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners. Contradiction means opposition against all logic. If you think for a moment you can serve God on spare time and pocket change effectively, you've got to, you, you, we're not right. It's not a walk in the park. You're going to have some rejection. You're going to have some setbacks. It's not easy to go anywhere and do something in this fallen sin world. But you try to serve God in the sin world, you're going to have some opposition from demonic forces, from societal challenges, and from our own selfish squirreliness. We're going to have some problems. He said, now listen, if you don't remember that it wasn't easy for Jesus, it's not going to be easy for you, you'll weary and faint where? Between your ears. Some of us got quitting on our mind right now. You're looking for when you can exit. You the young people who have graduated from high school, get quitting off your mind. You young people that are, are working through college and you're a sophomore or an early junior and you're too, too far from the beginning to be excited, you're too far from the end to get excited, you're in the doldrums. Don't quit. Working on a marriage that's just not working. Don't quit. Continue on. The old farmer says, if you strike a thorn or a rose, keep it going. If it hails or if, it's, if it snows, well, keep going. There's no sense to sit and whine when the fish ain't on your line. Just bait your hook and keep trying. Keep going. 
Suppose the weather kills your crop. Keep going. So it's work to reach the top. Well, keep on going. Suppose you're out of every dime. Well, getting broke ain't no crime. Just tell the world you're doing fine. Keep going. Don't stop. So don't, if, you, if you start thinking about quitting, you're going to quit. And if you stop thinking about Jesus, you're going to quit. If you stop thinking about Jesus, you'll be thinking about quitting. Because it's hard. It's not easy building a church and have the opportunity just to, in recent days to be in multiple churches and situations and sit with families and pastors and pastor's wives and attempt to encourage and, and listen to their story. And you can see there's been some challenges. Every pastor has feelings of inadequacy. He has bullies and critics that aggravate him. He has satanic pressure. He has the pressure of his own family, plus the pressure of the church family and the pastoring there. He has financial pressures. He has pressures of, of the church family. Everything, the money's always in the middle. And there's challenges to that. And I thank God for the opportunity. And I, I tell our, our, my pastor friends, listen, it's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. <laughs> well, what can I do? This family left. This family left. Go reach another family. So, listen, friends, if churches do not reach others, we'll die by attrition. I would love to just keep everybody that's here, and let's just keep here, and we'll just all stay together until Jesus comes. But that's not God's way. And God's way is very fluid. You see so much movement in the book of Acts. When you study the book of Acts, you'll see that God moves people strategically. And in a church like our church, and every church should be this way, but we're going to have a continual attrition. A lot of times it's going to be people that are going to get saved, won, discipled, and sent out. That's the way it's supposed to happen. I don't like it. It could happen to our own children. I want to buy all the houses on Glendale Park and have all of my kids live there with me. But that's not God's plan. We want to have everybody, we want to have, you know, Papa and Grandma school right there. That's what we want, but that's in the millennium, not now. Now it's a time to do what God wants us to do. Our kids are not ours. They're arrows to make an impact where archers cannot go. The people that you're teaching in Sunday school, the graduates of our schools, the graduates of our college are not ours. They're arrows that have been shaped for a while to be shot out to make an impact where you can't go, to Riverside, California, to New Jersey, to New York, to, to Florida, to Georgia, to Indiana, any place else. Now, God will let some of us stay, and that's a wonderful thing. But don't get discouraged because God calls someone else to go. You know what I do? I challenge you. I got to win another one to Christ. I got to keep giving the gospel. I can keep discipling somebody else. It's from the disciple. It's from the saved people get discipled. It's from the discipleship that people get trained. It's from the train that God sends people out. And it takes a little while sometimes. You think about, think about the Apostle Paul. When he got saved in Damascus, it wasn't boom, now he's a missionary. It was arduous years, three years with Jesus in Arabia, several years in Damascus, and then over in Antioch. And then from Antioch, he was called out. A lot of things had to happen there, and God is, is working with people. Boy, be a, be a tool of God to work in someone else's life. Number one, remember when you run your race, run, to run right, you've got to run right. Is there anything in your life that's not right? Is there anything that's slowing you down from doing what God wants you to do? 
Is it a movie? Is it, is it is an occupation with movies? How many movies can you watch without hearing filth and watching filth? When I hear people that watch all the movies, I'm just kind of questioning my mind. I know it's part of our culture, but it's bad. Is that, are you going to be able to run your race the way God wants you and, and be watching every flick that comes along? Is it music? Is it social media? What is it? Do you spend hours every week with Facebook and very little time with your face in this book? Is there things taking you away from things that are most important? We had a Saturday soul winning meeting this week. Will you even think about going? I'm telling you what, I never want to, well, I say never, rarely do I want to go. I always feel better after I go. At first door I knock, that person says, hey, I've been looking for a church. Wow, you guys just came at the right time. We were just talking about this, and I say, oh, that's why God brought me. That was why it was so hard to get here. The devil was fighting me. I was selfish. I was caught up in stuff. Is it something that even crosses our mind? Are we thinking about the eternal or the temporal? Listen, you've got a race to run. And I'm not against you. You're not against me. We're not against each other. It's a race that you're running that's been designed by the Lord Jesus Christ for you. Some of you, you've got some very arduous uphill journeys to make. It's okay. God's going to be with you. He's the author of our race. He's the author of our faith. So keep him as a focus. Remember the fan base. And then in verse number four, it says, you've got to keep fighting. You've not yet resisted in blood, striving against sin. That means you get knocked on your backside sometimes. And when you do, and you skin your knee, or you scrape yourself, or you got an injury, he said, keep fighting. Get up and keep on fighting. Keep on working through it. God's going to help you. And uh, he said, he said and, and especially against sin, because nothing slows us down about uh, like sin. And some people just like, I just can't do it. It's too hard to break this addiction. It's just beat me up so much. I can't do it. No, no, you have not yet resisted under blood fighting against sin. Sin is there, but you, you got more strength and the grace of God in you than you have sin fighting against you. If you've messed up, fess up. Forget it. That's what God does with our sin. He chooses to forgive our sin and forget our sin. So if we get reminded of our sin, it doesn't come from God. Let Satan remind you of that. He brings guilt. And there's nothing to do with guilt except for blame yourself and cry and, and, and sob and have a little party and cry if you want to. But if you get convicted by God, he'll draw you back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will draw you to Jesus. You get forgiveness. You understand who he is and what he did for you. You keep going. Keep fighting. Some of you need to fight tonight. Some of you got quit in your mind. You forgot that it's not supposed to be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It wasn't easy for Peter. It wasn't easy for Paul. It wasn't easy for James. It wasn't easy for James, uh, John, the beloved. It wasn't easy for any of them. It wasn't easy for our predecessors before us, the Jack Hileses and the, and the Lester Roloffs and the Lee Robertsons and the Tom. None of those guys, the D.L. Moody's, the Spurgeons, uh, the Sweet Sisters who, who God has used down through history. It wasn't easy for them. Great missionaries have to endure great hardness. But they keep their mind on the goal and on the blessing and on the finish line. That's where we need to keep our mind tonight. 